Welcome back. This is Why Words and Ideas with Arsiate Kun. Today we're going to talk about food, one of my favorite things. And in particular, we're going to look at tamales, which is a traditional food for a lot of people in Central America in particular, but also in parts of South America um, and maybe elsewhere as well. And this is a very common food um, during this time of year. Uh, in particular for uh, the, the Gregorian calendar, New Year, and for Christmas. And as I mentioned in the last episode, thinking about time differently, here my father and I, we've tried to, and family, we've tried to shift things a little bit, and we still celebrate this time of year. Uh, and because summer solstice is coming up, we're celebrating solstice. And we still do the Christmas stuff too, because I'll take any day off and I like to eat. So we'll do the other stuff then. But trying to shift and, and kind of reconnect with kind of indigenous ways of thinking about time. Uh, we've been doing our tamales for solstice and the summer solstice coming up. And so in this episode, just wanted to do a, a brief introduction um, to these things. And I, I, I think I should probably add another disclaimer. I've, I think I've mentioned the previous episodes, but I'm a nerd, but... I wouldn't. I think that I'm more comfortable with that than saying I'm an expert on anything. I, I don't consider myself an expert on any topic at all, um, but uh, a nerd on many topics, things that I'm passionate about, and and it means I'm thoughtfully thinking about them and and, and drawing from my personal experiences, drawing from my uh, personal studies, and also drawing from my professional studies as uh, an academic as well, and so. Just kind of keep that in mind as I, I bring, you know, my stories to the front. You know, these are uh, my perspectives and, and there's going to be disagreement and, and probably a spectrum uh, with other people who identify with the same kind of cultural background as me or they may have other insights and I have blind spots. So just kind of keep that in mind. I'm going to share what, uh, what my understanding is. And uh, tamales is a corn-based food, which... Um, I'll talk more about throughout this episode, but tamales themselves are almost three thousand, almost a three thousand year old food. It's been eaten for um, almost that long. I think technically it's about two thousand seven hundred and fifty years ago that there is confirmed archaeological evidence of um, it first being eaten this way. Corn's been around longer, but uh, preparing it in this particular way um, for tamales. If you haven't had tamales or don't know what I'm talking about. Definitely Google them. If if you're anywhere that has them available, then you got to try them as well. And and they're kind of like a a savory corn cake, I guess, or a savory corn uh, food. I don't even know how to describe it, so I, I'm not doing it justice at the moment. But we'll I'll try to explain a little bit more as we go. Um, but it's based on corn, right? And corn is such an important part to my identity as Winak, as a Mayan. And uh, a big part of many indigenous identities across Turtle Island and Abiyala, um, North and South America, um, among other foods, right? And so um, I'm coming at it from the perspective as, as we're not, for, you know, in diaspora and kind of um, my experiences uh, with it. And so let's start with corn itself. The word corn uh, obviously is, is English, but it has a Germanic base. Um, when I was Googling the etymology of corn, I found that the Germanic root of corn um, meant either barley or wheat, which for me, when I found that out, I was like, oh, okay, like that makes sense when, you know, the, in, a, in a sense, right, where um, barley and wheat are staple foods, they were primary food sources, and, um, you know, calling corn 
after that makes sense if you're coming from that culture, that particular world of the view, and then now you're engaging with this new food source and you're seeing how it's operating in that way. So that initial um, way of wording it, I, I don't generally have any issues with when we're looking at it from that perspective, the etymology meaning the genealogy of the word where it comes from in original meanings. And I prefer the indigenous terms for it, but um, just kind of an introduction to how corn came to be in English. Uh, oftentimes people will say, it's funny because I hear maize. People will always say that kind of stuff. And I'm like, what are they talking about? And then I realize, oh, they're talking about maize, which is how we say it in Spanish. But even that, maize and, and, and or maize, depending on how you pronounce it, is an indigenous word. Um, but it comes from the Taino people, the Caribbean. And so it's the indigenous word that they have for corn in the Caribbean region, one of the uh, major indigenous groups there. There's another word that I grew up hearing quite a bit as well, and it's adopted in Spanish like maíz, uh, which is elote. And if you're anywhere on the West Coast or the Mountain West, you might be familiar with eating elotes, which is when people sell sometimes out of the shopping cart a uh, corn and it's smothered in chili or sauces or different things. Um, they're quite good. Uh, if you haven't had one and you have access to try one, definitely give them, give them a go. You can probably find it at a, a local Mexican uh, restaurant or stand if, if there's one around you. And that is uh, from the word in Nahuatl, which is one of the major languages in what we would call today uh, Mexico, but um, or or if you're familiar with the 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 Aztecs or the Mexica people, um, there's other peoples as well that share that language, like the Tlaxcalas and, and and more. So Nahuatl is a language from there, and that's how in Nahuatl you say uh, corn elote. So those are a few uh, in South America. Quechua peoples in the Andes region might say choclo for corn, um, and and there's many other words for corn as well. Um, as we not, we have many, many words for corn. I mean, the last time I counted in a dictionary, because I don't, I don't speak my, my language fluently, um, I'm learning it. I have an uncle who still speaks Quiche, and he's, he's taught me quite a bit, and I, I try to learn what I can, and then I read dictionaries and different things and, and use online resources um, to try to uh, regain more understanding of my one of my indigenous languages. And um, I, last time I counted, there was over 40 words for corn, right? Different states of corn uh, and i realized just how immensely important this food was to us you know i grew up always hearing from my parents you know somos los hombres de maíz or we're the we're the corn people and and um and that it's such a essential part so we have many words for corn but the general word for corn um in quiche and as well as some other maya languages is ishim so if you've heard me say in previous episodes, Ishimuleo, to refer to Guatemala, literally breaking down, Ishim is corn, Uleo is earth. So corn, earth, or the world of corn, or the world of the corn people. And so that is um, what it means, is just to give you an example of the indigenous word for Guatemala, again, it's centered around being a corn people and how closely linked we are to this particular food. And... Um, one of the things that's really great about tamales as well is they're really easily adaptable to a variety of ways. The ones that we make at this time of year um, is because I, you know, I'm, my partner isn't Mayan. She's, uh, as I mentioned in the past, she's podcast. She's a, a European descent New Zealander. 
um, with Scottish ancestry as well as other ancestries around Scandinavia and Europe and in the British Isles. Um, and she's a great cook and does a, a, a lot of things. Um, but for the Maya stuff, I've, I have had to kind of step up and do that stuff in, 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 uh, within our Hawinak, uh, within our Fano, within our family to think about, um, how to preserve these traditions that I grew up with, these, these living traditions and connections to corn. Uh, because in, in, in growing up, it was always my mom or my aunties who were the ones uh, cooking and, and preparing, especially at this time of year, um, for uh, the, you know, the, the feasts to have tamales. And one of the things that I remember growing up, it's kind of crazy, huh, right? So like, I grew up in the U.S. and you have this really, you know, strong story or narrative that's told about Christmas time. Then you have the Coca-Cola Santa that brought this whole commercial idea around presents and, and buying and shopping, which we talked about last episode a little bit. And my family tried to give us that white middle-class Christmas at times, right? Um, I think, you know, there was some good intention people growing up who, you know, wanted to give us a Christmas. They wanted to, because in that context, it meant, you know, that's what it means to be human. That's what it means to be doing well is to have that, that middle class Christmas with all the trimmings and whatever. And I remember when I was really young, somebody used our family as, as a kind of a, a Christmas project and gave us a bunch of presents and, and things to like a ham and, and stuff to have kind of that white American middle class Christmas. And, uh, I mean, obviously I was a kid, I wasn't going to say no to free gifts and free presents and food. Yeah, bring it on. And, but as I've gotten older, I've been thinking about that more and how I've tried to shift, as I mentioned in the last episode, thinking about, uh, this time of year differently and doing things differently. And how can we, um, enjoy this time of year in ways that aren't centered around consumerism or, or kind of material exchanges that that may not be necessary or or, you know not that we don't enjoy it obviously we do or people wouldn't be doing it kind of thinking about that you know even though for a time I remember believing in Santa uh, when I was really young and and then later I was like this is such a weird contradiction because at the same time that I was believing in Santa which really I think I just wanted to because I wanted more presents at the same time I also remember that I always knew that Santa never went to Guatemala I was very aware of that and at the same time believed in Santa because I wanted to have this white middle-class Christmas. And, you know, the stories that my parents would tell me is that, you know, Noche Buena or the Christmas Eve was the day that you celebrate in, in Guatemala. If you have the ability to, what you do is you make heaps of tamales with with, with all your, your how we knock, with all your family and you get together and you wait, you stay up until midnight and the present that you open is your tamal. So it's usually wrapped in a banana leaf for us. Other people use other things. And there's different kinds of tamales. There's heaps of kinds. But the ones that we would have, in particular at this time of year, were the ones wrapped in banana leaf. And that's what you would do. And so I always grew up knowing these kind of multiple traditions at the same time that Christmas Eve was the day that we did the the, the Guatemalan thing. And we stay up to midnight and, and unwrap the tamales if you wanted to do that. But then the next day was the white middle class American thing. And you'd have all the presents and stuff. And so I like the food one because it's not producing waste. I mean, you're using a lot of organic materials, you're eating, and then it's done. And it isn't like accumulating uh, a bunch of plastic toys and things as well. Um, And so I kind of prefer that one now. And 
but that that's what I remember growing up was that there was this stark contrast uh, between the different kind of uh, practices at this time of year. And so as I'm thinking about tamales, all these memories kind of come up and, and what I remember growing up with them. And one of the things that I've been trying to do with um, our kids is thinking about um, how to make tamales. And, and of course, I'm pretty much have been for the last four years been going off of the memory of my observations because I never really made tamales. I asked my auntie a couple of years ago when we went back for a trip to Utah if she would show me how she makes hers because I, I really like how she makes her sauce. And I asked my mom about different recipes as well. And I began to try to re, re, um, uh, connect to some of these because now I was in charge of cooking that stuff. I love to cook anyway. Um, but when it came to the, the Maya foods um, that I had grown up with, I had to then take a lead in that. But then the other component was I wanted my kids to know how to make this stuff. And so I've, I've simplified the tamales. And we, what we end up doing this time of year is sweet tamales or um, tumin. So uh, tamales that don't have any meat in them. And we just make uh, them with, with fruit or, or, or add a little bit of sugar into the masa, to the, to the dough. And it, it's really easy for the kids to make them. And then they have at least a base of how to make them. Now, it's hard for me to get banana leaves here in, in Aotearoa, but I, I am able to get corn husk and corn leaf. And so we end up doing the, the corn husk um, tamal wrapping for it. And we just kind of do it simple like that. But it's one of the ways that we can do it. And one of the things that I've observed is, you know, if kids make food, like if they're actually making it and preparing it, they eat it. And so that's been great. My kids love tamales. They eat heaps of them. And the other thing I was thinking about is like, I'm not a vegan, um, but tamales are very easy to make vegan. And a lot of them are already vegan. A lot of our traditional foods were anyway, and they're dairy free. And so, um, you know, unless you do the, the adoption of, of lard, which some people do, which is bringing in the pig fat. And uh, I ain't gonna lie, those tamales taste really good too with that addition. Um, but it's very easy to do it without because um, for thousands of years it was made without without that. And you either make savory ones with meat um, and tomato. Uh, again, we invented tomatoes, so you're welcome world and, and Italians. But that's one of the ways that I've been thinking about um, tamales and remembering those stories and how to make them. So how do we make tamales? Um, we, we put together this corn dough, but it's a particular one, which we're going to talk about here. And you, you wrap it either in the corn husk, like I mentioned we do with our kids here, or in a banana leaf. Um, and it could be savory, it could be sweet. There's all kinds of different ways you can do it. Um, and for the large part, they're all made out of corn, uh, a corn base. There is some that we call the, the, the patch, or, or when you translate it in Spanish, paches which are potato-based, so we do have some of those also. But all of those are indigenous foods to the Americas, and um, it's really awesome kind of indigenous food, and there's an awesome kind of cosmology behind it as well. Let me uh, bring in a couple of uh, uh, guest comments from a couple of my kids, so you can see uh, a little bit, hear a little bit from them, uh, what they've learned about corn. My other name is which is me, is the grandmother who made people out of corn. The animals brought the corn to her. There were many different types of corn. She made people out of the corn. 
by grinding the corn and then molding it. Making tamales is like a reminder of Ishmukane. And we're going to use wa'il. Can you say wa'il? Wa'il! Which is yellow corn, which there's many kinds of corn, but we're going to use yellow corn today. We're going to put in chop. 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 is what? Chop chop. It's pineapple. That's this, right. This, this. Good job. So we're doing sweet tamales. We're going to make tamales with yellow corn this time. We usually do blue, but yeah, we're doing yellow corn. So I'll put it into the corn husk and Sal and Desra are going to put pineapple in it and then wrap it. Okay, so um, they've kind of give you the introduction and we're going to get into it a little bit further. So to make the, the, the corn dough, as um, was mentioned, is a, a memory of Ishmukane, the first grandmother, right? And so in Mayan cosmology, Ishmukane, Ishpiakok are the first grandparents. And Ishmukane has a, a, is for us, our grandmother is a very important role in the creation. She's a creator. She's part of the creation story in making people. And they, they try to make people out of different materials. And one of the really interesting lessons is what makes us corn people is is very important in contrasting to the previous people that there were or the previous kind of people, which again, these are embedded with metaphor of meaning and memory. And so you, you can't take these literally um, although there are some literal connections at times, um, like, for example, if you are what you eat and corn is your staple, then we are literally corn people. Um, and archaeologically, you can see um, the, the, the chemical remnants from uh, the carbon that's left back from, from corn. And you can see that in people's bones. And so we are the corn people. Um, and so that's... Uh, literal in that sense but most of the story has a lot of metaphor and meaning and sim and symbolism and so to to remember there was there was previous ones i'm not going to go into all the cosmology but the 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 people that existed before the corn people were the wooden people and there's a really important lesson for us in this because of um, ecological um, knowledge or environmental relationships because the wooden people um, were said to be hard and stiff and couldn't um, house a heart and couldn't and forgot the ancestors or the creators and, and weren't reverencing and being uh, expressing gratitude to the creation and, and the creators. And they were abusive to the trees and to the animals. There's all kinds of different stories within that around that and so what ended up happening was one of the ancestral guardians deities if you will um, huracan which is actually where the word hurricane comes from in english which was um the the deity of of wind and rain and storms in particular brought this this hurricane and uh flood and and flooded the um their world uh, destroying the wooden people. Some of the wooden people survived and it transformed into uh, monkeys or in particular tree monkeys uh, or spider monkeys that live in the trees. And so there is a memory of them and uh, of the wooden people because they still live in, in the wood, in, in the woods, in the trees. And so 
that's a memory of that. But what emerged after was the corn people. So for us, this is about, a, at least in my understanding, a shifting of consciousness where we had to learn and adapt to understand time according to the environment, according to the cosmos, and to submit to the creation and um, and to the creators, as I mentioned in uh, the previous episode about time and calendars. This is a, a shift of consciousness of learning this, right? Because we're human beings, we make mistakes, and we um, have complicated uh, realities. And so this is how we kept track of that memory, of where we had a shift in consciousness, where we learned to be... Um, like they say in Maori, um, Kaitiaki, which I think originally was the ancestral deity guardians here, but today is also used as to be a guardian of a place. So you can be Kaitiaki Tanga is often used, in, at least in my experience, to, to have a sense of guardianship over the environment or the waterways or foodways or what have you. And so in that sense, for us as Maya people, we learned how to become Kaitiaki. Um, at that point in time and that's what it means to be corn people is to be of that consciousness and part of it was the emergence of the use of corn which is around a 5,000 year old food originally was a grass um, a, a, a wild grass I don't like the word wild but for the sake of this we'll talk about that some other episode I'm sure um, but the uh, it was a, a an organic grass that was already existed and when people began to interact with it and water it and to cultivate it um, over time it, it the kernels or the seeds became larger and bigger and now we have all these different types of corn we got heaps and in in the story as was mentioned a little bit earlier um, was different animals who brought um, four different colors of corn which also correlate with the four uh, sacred directions for us as Maya people, um, red being for the east, black for the west, sometimes represented by blue as well, uh, white for the north, and yellow for the south. And so we had these different colors of corn, we have um, these different directions, and so in a sense the animals brought from all the different directions these corn, and Ishmukane um, grinded the corn and made people out of it, thus giving rise to the corn people. And that grinding process is really, really important because today uh, corn is being used in so many different ways, right? I would say these are uh, often, I feel like these are blasphemous ways of using corn, but like high fructose corn syrup, for example, or giving corn seed to um, livestock to fat. There's a reason it fattens them up, okay? So the reason when the people say corn fed or corn finished and it fattens them up is because they cannot process the corn. You, and, and that's not a good thing. Corn is a very interesting food, and um, it's a sacred food to us, but part of it is that we have to process it correctly. Because it's sacred, we have to um, engage with it in a particular way so then that we can actually consume it, right? So in, in Pacific terms, there's a tapu. There's a, a, a protective restriction or, or rule or setting apart around it and we have to make that no we have to neutralize that in order to eat it from a from a um a Tongan or Maori perspective and, and I, I like using the words of uh, tapu and noa there because it, it makes sense to me as a Maya with the way we process corn. So corn is tapu it's, it has this protection and we have to process it. And one of the reasons why so um you can actually digest and process it and get the nutrients from it. Otherwise um, it, it could actually uh, be damaging. And so 
with the corn, you, you let it go to seed so it dries out. Um, and there's different ways of doing that during the planting. And not that you can't have, you know, your corn on the cob and, and, and whatnot. Though that's quite delicious too, but it's different. You're not going to be able to process it the same. When you're having corn as a staple food, as meaning staple food, meaning the main thing that you eat, your bread, right? When people say, oh, your bread and butter, they're referring to the staple food that has come to be the case for, for Europeans. That's what it means. Oh, your bread and butter, they're your staple, your main thing. In Asia, it would be rice. Um, in Tonga, it would be ufi or, or talo or, or taro or kalo, you know, uh, in different parts of, of Oceania. And for us, it's ishim, it's corn. And so once you have the dried uh, corn, which would then be like a seed, you then have to soak it. And we soak it in a lye um, or in a lime water. Which, when I'm saying lime, I'm referring to like limestone. If you think about limestone, it's um, the technically it's it's a calcium hydroxide. It's it's the chemical process of it, and there there's some um, evidence that the way it was done uh, anciently was um, these hot limestone were were heated up with fire and then then put into water, heating up, the, boiling the water. After which that water was used. Um, to soak the uh, uh, the corn, the dried corn kernels in, which is the the corn seed, and uh, I think ash is also used in different cases as well. But what you're doing is you're adding a a calcium hydroxide to the mixture, which what it does is it removes kind of the outer layer skin of the corn, and in that process it releases the protein, right? And at the same time, adds niacin or, or this important vitamin. So your corn is going to become much more nutritious. And once that's been soaked and removed, we call that C. Um, and then uh, the other part is there's multiple words for the grinding of the corn, but the third and final grinding of the corn is also called C. And that is also the word for the dough or the masa in Quiche. Um, and the Nahuatl word is nishtamal. So you see the word tamal is in there. Um, uh, tamal is also is obviously a Nahuatl word, and nishtamal being to to make the dough for tamales, um, which is comes from the Nahuatl. The reason why we use a lot of Nahuatl words in, in Guatemala or Ishimuleo is because um, although this the invasion was initiated and catalyzed by Europeans, um, the majority of the people who came in the invasion, uh, the people who were fighting, the majority were were largely indigenous people who had allied. For different reasons, they ended up getting screwed in the end because that's how colonization worked. But the the initial invasions actually were uh, tens of thousands of Nawas, and and so these Nawa folks came in and in, in, in the invasion, um, and there was actually a small minority of uh, Spaniards and Europeans in in that. Even though some were taking lead or charge at different times, the majority of the people fighting were indigenous folks. Uh, in the case of Guatemala, and so. That complicates history a little bit in an important way, but also that's why even the word Guatemala comes from Guatemalan, which is a uh, Nahuatl word, which means uh, many trees. Quiche, that's what Quiche means. So when I say I'm Quiche, it means I'm many trees uh, of the many trees people. So the Nahuatl has come to influence all these things. So we use a lot of them interchangeably because of that particular history. So nishtamal is what it's used, and I think nishtamal has actually even been added into like nutrition dictionaries and and medical terms 
um, and they call it nishtamalization. Uh, shout out to the, to the brother Jacob Fitzsimano who pointed that out to me. Um, and that's what this means is when you prepare corn in this way, uh, releasing the protein, adding niacin, and making it so um, it's actually nutritious and digestible. And the other part of that, of course, is in releasing the protein, it then bonds with others, which is what allows you to make a dough. And so nowadays for us, at least, especially in diaspora, uh, we're not grinding our corn um, directly. I hope to one day be able to be able to reconnect and do that more regularly. Um, but we end up uh, buying uh, corn flour, if you will. But it has to have gone. We only get stuff that has gone through the, the has gone through that process of nistamalization so that um, it's in the way that our ancestors have prepared it and how really you should be eating it to be safe and, and to get the most nutrition and healthy approach to eating corn, especially as a, a staple or a regular food that you have. And at that point with the flour or with the grinded corn, um, which is what the flour is, is just the drying it after that process. You just add water and you make your dough. Uh, and that that's pretty much it. And then you wrap it in a banana leaf and a corn, and that's the simplest way of doing it. So, you know, it's vegan naturally. It's uh, uh, dairy-free. Uh, but, of course, we have many types of tamales. You can add meat. You can add different um, sauces. The, the one that my auntie makes is, is so delicious. She roasts uh, pumpkin seed and sesame seed, and she grinds that into the sauce along with um, red peppers and tomato and garlic and a few other things as well and then kind of makes the sauce to with and, and she makes it with pork so good one of my favorite tamales there's there again like i said many other ones we just do the sweet ones because it's simple and i, I want to make sure my kids know how to make this stuff so they don't have to relearn the way i did and uh so we just keep it simple and we make uh, either blue corn or yellow corn tamales at this time of year and um, sometimes we'll add a little bit of sugar into there to, to slightly sweeten it we'll get some raw cane sugar but you can do it without easily as well and we had pineapple. Now, pineapple is also an indigenous food of the Americas. It came from uh, South America, but uh, was cultivated by Mayas anciently. And actually, the first time that Europeans ever tried pineapple was in the Caribbean. So again, shout out to um, Caribbean folks, Taino, Arawak, and Carib peoples, um, who were also cultivating it at that time. So we add pineapple in there, and it's actually um, a, a, an indigenous food to the Americas. And, and that's how we make our tamales, and that's kind of the process of it. And, and it's a full indigenous food, so it reminds us of, of who we are and our cosmologies um, because it's tied to Ishmokane, our grandmother who made the corn. And there's so many symbolisms around. I mean, when I say we're corn people, I mean, it's, it's deep. I'm really just giving a scratch of the surface introduction in this. If people are interested, maybe we'll end up talking more about it at some other time as well. Um, for us, corn is a tree of life, right? It's uh, often a representation of our tree of life. And um, the, the, the process of it is, is also when you, you're planting and harvesting is also uh, linked and tied to our um, cosmologies as well. We have uh, a book, Esquiche People, which is part of a shared Maya history as well of hero twins, um, Ispalamke and Hunakpu. Um, in English would be jaguar deer and one hunter. And they go into the underworld and overcome the trials of the underworld and defeat the lords of death. Um, and, and in a sense, um, uh, bring a, a resurrection about as they return 
uh, out of the underworld and bring life, the, the heavens and the earth, and holding it up with the world tree axis that uh, then we all have uh, our life. And so we, we then came in, into being. And um, the corn plant is uh, one symbol of that tree of life. There's also the Seba tree, which is a tree that grows in the lowland jungles of, of Ishimuleo, Guatemala, um, that is also a representation of that uh, tr world axis uh, tree that holds up the sky, that um, connects us to our many dimensions uh, from underworld to the heavens and the different realms in, in, the, in this world and the four directions. And so it's really linked to a lot of our uh, cosmology and, and memory. But one of the uh, awesome things that I try to remember as well when we're eating corn and is thinking about those hero twins and how they overcame um, death and, and brought life uh, to to the people was that when we plant corn, we never plant just one seed, right? You always have to go in multiples. And so the twins or the two is a, a memory or reminder for me of of how we even plant corn with, with multiple seeds. Um, and when we're putting them into the ground um, and, and we cover it up, that's uh, also a symbol and memory for me of them going into the underworld. And when you begin to see the corn plant uh, emerge out of the ground, you see that life is beginning to emerge and um, they are overcome. They have overcome the lords of death in the depths of the underworld and coming uh, and the underworld isn't necessarily a negative thing. It's just part of the balance of the world we live in. And so as the, uh, the, the corn plant continues to grow, it is emerging out of the underworld. And it's linked to the underworld because of the roots that go deep down from where life comes. So this idea of the cycles of life and death being intricately and intimately intertwined and in the, the corn plant growing up out of it and once it comes into full size, then that we have the, the tree of life that holds up the sky. Um, and so uh, th that's another thing that I think about and remember. And one of the reasons I'm even telling story at this time is because this is what we do when we get around as a whanau and, and, and start uh, making tamales as we talk story. And that's one of the things that we do. Preparing food is an important time to, to tell story. And this time of year as well for us, we like to. Um, but also, it's something that that really got emphasized uh, for me growing up in the in the U.S. Uh, and in Utah, because a lot of indigenous folks in that region um, utilize the winter time, which it's winter on that side of the world right now, um, as an important time to tell stories. And so I ended up adopting that. And so that's why, you know, we end up telling you know a lot of stories at this time, even though we're in the summer on this end, is because it's winter over there, and that's kind of. Uh, became a big part of an influence for me. And so hopefully uh, there's been some interesting things to think about for you. Um, and hopefully you think about corn differently. And if you ever thought that corn was a vegetable and we're using it as a side, please stop. <laughs> because it's not. It's the staple. It's a sacred food for us. And um, if you 
think about it. If you're adding corn as a side or as a vegetable, it's like eating a spaghetti sandwich, which people do here and it tastes good. So I'm not saying you can't do it or shouldn't do it. But if you understand that you're, in a sense, putting a staple on another staple, right? It's carb on carb, in a sense, right? It's a different type of, it's a, in a starchy one, but it, it comes from a grass. It's a staple food. It's the primary food for us. It's our sacred food because it's our life giver and life source um, as a people, as corn people in this era, and as our, which is a reminder of our consciousness to uh, live in alignment with um, the, 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 the greater forces in our environment, wherever that might be. So... Uh, for me here, it's recognizing the kaitiaki of, of Aotearoa in this place, whether that's Tangaroa, the Garden of the Sea, or Tafirimatia, uh, Garden of the Winds, um, you know, Ranginui, the, the Sky Father, or Papatunuku, um, the Earth Mother, which we have uh, as well as Mayas with Okushkah, Okushuleo, Heart of Sky, Heart of Earth, very similar concepts and ways of understanding our world and our environment and the way food fits. So to close it up, the last point I'll make with corn is this is one of the reasons why um, we also use corn in our rituals and our symbolic offerings. Like to offer somebody corn is, is a big thing because we're in a sense offering our life, our life source. Um, and so corn seed is often used, uh, at least in my experience, uh, whether it's in like a bundle or a, or a medicine bag kind of uh, equivalent uh, or, or, you know, as an offering within uh, ritual or prayer or, or corn pollen is common with, with other groups as well. And one of the reasons for us that we do that is because that is an offering tied to, to our life source as corn people. We're giving a part of ourselves in that it's a it's a, a sacrifice that we remember when we do that. And so with, with that uh, in mind, I'll, I'll leave that with you and, and giving that offering of, of a little bit of uh, corn uh, knowledge or the knowledge of Ishim um, to anybody who may be listening. I appreciate uh, you, you taking the time to do so. And, and hopefully there's been something that's uh, been interesting um, or, or get you to think uh, about uh, words and ideas differently. Uh, until the next episode on why, uh, thank you very much.